This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about uh, screen culture from... <laughs> sorry, I'm a bit distracted by the fact my, my headphones aren't working. Um, that screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever it is that you're streaming. We are broadcasting tonight from the Triple R Studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio is Cerise Howard. Hey, Cerise. Hey, Flick. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Um, and we also have joining us uh, via Zoom, all the way from Adelaide, it is academic and film reviewer Stewie Richards. Hey, Stewie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Good to be back. <laughs> so on tonight's show, we're spotlighting the work of filmmaker Peter Strickland. Um, listeners will, of course, um, be familiar with Strickland's work, um, such as In Fabric, uh, this wonderfully dark comedy about a killer dress and, and one of Primal Screen's favourite films um, as voted by the team, uh, as well as Duke of Burgundy, a very sexy and sort of sensuous uh, lesbian period drama. Uh, his debut feature from 2009, Catalan Varga, and, and perhaps you caught his latest film, Flux Gourmet, at MIF. Uh, were you one of the lucky spectators that caught that? Uh, I, well, I was, though. I actually caught it even before MIF because I oh, am very you? lucky. Yes. <laughs> I, I had been in the world and saw it <laughs> in the summertime on a faraway continent in another <laughs> land altogether. <laughs> Well, for listeners who perhaps didn't get a chance to catch it at MIF, um, I can assure you that um, it will be coming to cinemas here. We, it's got a release date of this Thursday. Um, but here is a little taster to give you um, yeah, a little sense of what the film's about. <laughs> I like making noises. In what way? Promising first concert. Wonderful fact. But it's time to move on and continue our investigation into an array of interculinary disciplines. <coughs> Flatulence. Yes. And deep breath. Am I going to die? Name me a living thing that isn't. What is he doing here? <laughs> Hopefully that gives you a little uh, a little sense of the film. It is about a uh, a troupe, would we say, of uh, culinary musicians? Is that the yes, official phrase? Yes, performance <laughs> artists. Um, well, they're a peculiar group who seem to struggle to define themselves a little. They can't come up with a name for their, their entity, led by a, a monomaniacal uh, woman and played by the extraordinary Fatima Muhammad. Um, it is a singular film by a singular filmmaker. I don't think we've um, actually given away yet, have we, Flick, that no, we've actually got him on the line. We do indeed. Um, 
And if you're um if you are thinking uh <laughs> we should just do a I, uh, I was going to say we should just note first uh, that we this might be a little bit of deja vu because we have done a, a spotlight on Peter Strickland back in 2020. Um, so Peter, it's such a pleasure to have you back on 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 the show again. Uh, can you hear us? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Oh, our pleasure. It's not always um, I get a return invite. <laughs> oh well, we I feel like we talk about your films and you it's become such a reference point for us that it's um it's always great to be able to actually unpack them with you live on air as well. Um it is yeah, it is we've we mentioned um that we did do a spotlight back in 2020, so it's been a while since there, but really for tonight I'd love to to talk with you a bit more about Flux Gourmet, which as we mentioned is your latest film. Well, Peter, I'm going to throw you a question to get things rolling. And um, look, Sonic Catering, um, I think that you know, for folks who are, who are unfamiliar with the term, and it's probably a great many prior to seeing this film, um, well, I, I believe that you um, have something of an autobiographical relationship with it. This isn't something that your feverish imagination hatched purely for this new film, Fluxical May, but something that you are yourself quite acquainted with. Would you like to give us a little bit of backstory, your own sonic catering story? Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> we, we, yeah, there were three of us. Well, more than three. It was mostly three of us. We had a few guests here and there. Uh, Tim Kirby, Colin Fletcher and I, we started in 1996. It's going back quite a bit. Um, and yeah, we amplified cooking. We documented cooking. We recorded it and um, took those sounds and treated them like like ingredients, where we we would layer them, chop them up, mix them, process them. Uh, and yeah, I, I suppose I, I like the idea of um, you know I see this partly as a, as, as a band film, the same way you would see, you know, the Queen film or the Elton John or Spinal Tap. But I like the idea of taking a band that nobody had heard, nobody had, heard of. It seemed quite perverse to do that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think for any viewer who struggles, to, who finds it too bizarre, you could see it in the same manner as, say, Joanna Hogg's film, Looking Back on Her Life. But, you know, it is about making things, Um the things that are made might be not to everyone's taste, but it is about the process of making things. So I'm hoping there is some kind of connection with um, an audience there. With your own Sonic Catering band, was there that performance art element as well? Was it very performative or was it more a studio-based operation? It was mostly studio-based. We very rarely dabbled in performance art. Um, that came more from people like Cozy Fanny Tutti or... Um, the Viennese actionists, um, or even Darmanda Gallus, people like 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 that. Um, so no, it was mostly studio based. We, we we did play live, but you know we're not really the um, performing type. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're quite, um, believe it or not, we're quite shy. I I don't believe it at all. <laughs> the Viennese actionists are an interesting um, touchstone. There, they they certainly got they're not re- shy. No, they got real messy. Um, from what footage I've seen of their shenanigans back in the day. Um, So your own Sonic catering didn't court controversy to the same extent as the troops does in Flux Gourmet? 
No, not really. I mean, we're, 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 that that again. That that, that came from uh, that, that. That was something new that came into the film, and I, I kind of that the whole thing about shock value. It kind of linked in with the um, the stomach issues. Yeah, <laughs> um, there's something quite organic about that, and and about this someone which all of us are guilty of to to, to some degree. You know, you. A lot of us, you know, we, we're kind of magpies. We we uh, have a radar for people around us and w- w- what they're going through. And she kind of piggybacks on someone else's suffering um, and uses it for shock value. Um, so in in a way, you know, I was exploring two two things. You know, the the nature of taboo and shock value, but also something much more. Um, uh, how do I say this? Um, Hopefully, something that shows some empathy, you know, for stomach issues that uh, normally is dealt with with kind of mocking. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of tr- a tricky line, really, because um, I don't want, I don't want to be too finger wagging, too didactic, but at the same time, I wanted to give the world of stomach embarrassment something quite something quite dignified something quite solemn um something out of, you know it, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry sorry peter i didn't mean to cut you off just something out a bit of at a bit of a remove from the world of embarrassing bodies type <laughs> tv shows that sort of that, that uh, always... I, I don't know i have not aware of those things <laughs> but yeah i i think um it's something just I mean, there's sort of two elements to this you know what one is 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 the the um the, the the flatulence the second thing is allergies um and it's just strange that i've seen i think i think from my memory i think three feature films which treat anaphylaxis as as comedy um which is kind of odd for me you know because it's, it's something like you're about to die basically um so yeah, I, 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 I guess I wanted to carve out a little niche where um, if someone can watch that and feel they're somehow spoken to, then that that's not a bad thing. And you have but, the one. Wonder- so, mm-hmm. or you have the wonderful Marquis Pama Dimitriou in that role, Stones, the the documenter of the the troops' work, and he's wonderfully uh, relatable in his excruciating uh, experience of all of his stomach ills, um, which I find all too relatable, uh, having a bit of an irritable gut Mm. myself. I think probably an awful lot of people will find his travails Mm. very relatable, whether it's the stuff of dinner party or after dinner speeches (laughs) or not. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, mean, I've spoken to Marcus about this and, you know, I think there was... It, it, it is a fine line because we didn't we didn't we didn't want to be too earnest. You know, we have to put the character through some kind of torment, especially with Doctor Glock. Um, but at the same time, we want to be we want it to be clear that we're on his side. Um, but that that you can never control how an audience sees that. So already, I've been accused of. Um, or is it someone who said, you know, your fart jokes are not very funny? It's like, well, <laughs> it's <never meant> to <laughs> be funny. <laughs> But um, you can't control how an audience sees these things. I think you just have to do your best. And um, but you know, with Macus, it was very clear that you know it's we do sympathise with him. And um, and but I think his I think the, the nature of dealing with very very private issues um, put 
to the forefront, put on, on stage, I mean, literally having a, a, a colonoscopy in front of um, an audience is, is your worst nightmare. Um, but, you know, I think there was, there was that, that monologue, he says, where something so private sacrificed for, 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 the, for the sake of art. It's that question of how, how much do you reveal of yourself? Um, what purpose does it serve? But I think if it liberates a viewer to, to say, you know, I have these same issues, I shouldn't be embarrassed about it, that can't be, uh, it's, it's not going to cure your issues, but I think if you can talk about these things without feeling humiliated or embarrassed, I think that's, that's not a bad thing. I think also that humanity, I, I felt that very much so in in your film, earlier film, In Fabric. Um, so it's lovely to kind of have elements of that or at least that thread come through in Flux Gourmet. And I just want to remind listeners if they have just tuned in, um, this is Primal Screen and we are chatting with director Peter Strickland about his latest film, Flux Gourmet. So, Peter, we've got um, a- another film here of yours where you've, taken something that's commonly associated with one sense and associated it with another which I see as something of a motif in your films so we've got a lot of cooking here used as audio art as well as visual art performance art Um, if we go back through your filmography we see uh, these these worlds colliding a lot a lot of sort of synesthetic dimensions and and transmissions in in your film like in fabric Sort of more or less provoked uh, a sense of t- uh, a dread of a sense of touch, something that should be silky and delightful uh, upon the flesh being lethal. We had um, in Barbarian Sound Studio the act of making sound visualized foley there, which is you know, not totally worlds removed from uh, Flux Gourmet. Um, there's, there's this common commonality of a sort of a multi dimensional um, sensual exploration in your films and um i don't know whether you wish to speak to that at all or whether to speak to what what informs this continuing investigation or if it's even particularly conscious oh i think a lot of it's just habit i I think a lot of it comes back from from the the band you know we were just chopping up vegetables and that i guess that kind of fed a lot of what we were doing with barbarian sound studio um and that again fed into more explicitly fed into flux gourmet. Um, yeah, I, I <laughs> it's kind of hard. I mean, I, it, it was a sense of um, sound was becoming what well, has become so um, abstract in terms of it's not tact. It used to be something tactile. You know, you could touch tape, you could splice tape, um, even when you would. Um, construct the different elements of sound you, you would you would have a dubbing chart you know you get coloring pencils out and you, you draw different different blocks so Barbarian was very much um wanting to as you say to to make sound visual make it tactile you know having loops around 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 the room um and also this whole relationship we have with sound where it, it is it is in the digital realm but at the same time we're using analog iconography to um, embody that somehow. So, you know, look at these apps, look at these plugins. They still have the imagery of reel-to-reel tapes or tape delays and so on. Um, so we, we, we have, we've moved on from analog, but at the same time, we take this fetishistic element with us in, into the digital domain. Um, but yeah, Flux, I mean, that was something much more, 
how do I say it? Um, it just came from having, you know, having been in, in that band and wanting to um, do a sort of cheeky band biopic. Um, I spoke to the other two in the band, Tim and Connor. I said, you know, are you okay? I about you know, none of us are going to look good from this, and they were fine <laughs> about it. Um, so yeah, they were happy for me to kind of write, you know, do this slightly scandalous script that didn't, you know, didn't exactly sell us. <laughs> Why would none of you look good? I mean, which one were you, Peter? Exactly. Of the three, I'm even Doctor Glock. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of put a bit of yourself in each, you know, different facets of your character come into each, each different character in, in, in the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the band, they're, they're pretty dysfunctional in the film. You can't deny that. No. Well, you've, you've created another sort of quite hermetic universe, of the, a narrative universe. In this film, everyone is obsessed with... Uh, sonic catering much as in say duke of burgundy everyone seemed to be a woman and a lepidopterist or a mannequin <laughs> yeah one or two of them sprinkled. In, in, in bondage as well uh, yeah and it, yes lest we forget yes yes and there's always some peculiar fetishes sprinkled about the place um pretty wonderful one involving eggs without giving anything away in in uh flux gourmet um i mean I, I i like to try to imagine yourself giving direction to ensure that you your actors are, are somehow pitch perfect and they, they reliably are. And of course, none more so than Fatma Muhammad, who's a, mm. a regular throughout your filmography. What sort of direction do you give her and, and her colleagues on set in order to arrive at this peculiar tone that permeates through your filmography? Uh, less and less these days because I, mean, because I know her so well. There was a kind of shorthand between us. Um, but I think a lot of that come, comes from Fatma herself. You know, it was very much my writing tailoring itself towards her character, her way of speaking. And so it, uh, with Fatma, it's, it's a little bit different from, from other actors where we kind of meet halfway. Um, I just know her tics I, I i know her yeah i i, I know her mannerisms um but at the same time i'm trying to be mindful of not repeating the same character each time so um i wanted to make uh, yeah someone who was not like the previous character from in fabric um someone who was kind of desperate and well desperate in the sense of her ego you know just to mm. to um maintain this kind of word is you know i think she she's fighting over things that just don't matter whatsoever um but uh, yeah we, 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 with that but, um I, I guess like with most relationships with actors you know you talk about the character i mean I, I, with her it was easy because i know her but at the same time it was not it was not straightforward because there are many things in terms of culture that she doesn't get in terms of not not being british so the whole class aspect, she just, that was quite surprising for her that, you know, she said, what, why would a character lie about being poor when, when, when they're rich? <laughs> well, if, you, if you come from Britain, especially in the film industry, everyone tries to pretend they're, they're, they're poorer than, than they are. So I said, no, no, no. You know, you went to a posh school like, like me, sadly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, unlike me, you, you're going to try and hide it, um, which a lot of people do. Um, and then poor Billy r r accidentally exposes her. 
Um, so, you know, little, you know, uh, it's set in this nowhere world, but in, in my mind, it's quite, quite, quite a British film, quite class, quite class obsessed, especially with the trips to the shops and all these oh. French terms. <laughs> Gwen- Gwendolyn Christie, uh, um, Jan Stevens is astonishing. Um, and did you have a Jan Stevens, a nemesis figure when you were in the Sonic Catering Band? No, no. I mean, we, 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 we had a blast in the band we, we we split up for other reasons we we just life got in the way basically i mean we actually got back together for this film to, to do the soundtrack I, I don't think we're going to be performing again um no we um we didn't have anyone telling us what to do i um i mean the jan stevens character is more coming from film from film financiers that's um something any filmmaker can relate to. But at the same time, I didn't want to take sides. You know, I think it'd be too easy to turn the financier into this devil. And the, I didn't want to have this poor victim artist. So I want, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted all the characters to be flawed. So you don't, I, I don't want the audience to know which side I'm on. So I, I try to be more, more like a referee and make, yeah, both characters as charming and, and as unpleasant as, as, as possible, really. Um, Peter, there's always, I feel like your films always feature a very rich complexity, which um, I think we see in both those two characters. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I found this um, fantastic quote from you um, in an interview in which you say that you've always enjoyed films which are seen as disrespe- um, disreputable. And you said that you think part of the filmmaker's job is to be a bit like a vulture, a scavenger, to find things that people would turn their noses up. Um, so what is it that sort of draws you to the disreputable? Good question. It's a very good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, I... I mean, you know, in a way that comes up in the film um, and the whole idea of shocking an audience, you know, why are we doing it? Because if you take it to its logical logical conclusion, it's kind of becomes this very, it's like a, it's like a cul-de-sac of machismo, really. It's kind of pointless. Uh, I mean, anyone can shock. I mean, I, I, you could you could pick a thousand films more shocking than, than mine. I mean, my, mine, to, to my mind, um, I'm, I'm more interested in shocking to ex- to expose hypocrisies, mm. um, things that shouldn't be shocking. Like you know, the stomach and all its uh, flaws should not be shocking. Um, sex shouldn't be shocking. Um, you know, I I, I I I get far more shocked by um, extreme violence, which my films don't 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 show. Um, so I really, I mean, when I say you know the disreputable, I I, I look at something like pornography when i say pornography I, I don't mean like internet porn you know something made by someone like wakefield paul or jim bidgood um and just more putting more more of a question mark there than than anything you know why is that shocking yeah i mm. I, I guess it i guess it comes from that but at the same time you know you look at those films and they're very poetic you know there's stuff you you, you can you can lift from it there's stuff you, you can steal um this is kind of unexplored terrain of, of cinema, which, yeah, it has its functional money shots and so on. But there is a poetry there that is kind of um, 
there for the taking somewhat. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and also last time uh, we spoke, you actually, you joked that you might give up um, film for radio um, and you have actually done several radio plays. I think many listeners may not know that about you. Um, so can you tell us about how you got into doing radio plays and, and what they're about? Yeah, I've done five. I, I did one oh, wow. just now, actually, like oh. a, couple of, a couple of months ago, actually. Um, uh I was very lucky. I, I had this commission from Archangel to do a one-minute radio piece, and I, I did it at, at a radio production company, and I, I kind of said I would love to do radio at, at one point. And the producer invited me to do a, a, a write a script, and it kind of went from there, really. And I, I love doing it um, because you have complete freedom. No one, there's no development nonsense. I mean, I, I, I just, especially in Britain, I get so, so tired of all these bloody notes. Excuse my language, sorry. <laughs> okay. um, I, I, I just, <laughs> you know, I think w- once we've agreed to do something, just let the filmmaker do something. Um, whether it's good or bad, just, just let them get on with it. So, I mean, I, I would never interfere in someone else's work, no, no matter what I think of it. So, yeah, I, I don't understand that British mentality. You don't, you don't get that in, in Europe. Um, so, but in radio, they, they leave you alone. You know, once, mm. once they say yes, off you go. It, the only restriction is it has to be 45 minutes. There's a budget you have to kind of consider in terms of the amount of actors you can have. Um, it's quick. It's really, really quick. The whole thing is done in one week. And it's, it's just good exercise. It, it's good practice for, for, for working with actors. Um, you're trying out ideas that you can maybe try later on in, in, a, in a feature film. Uh, so I, I, I love doing it. You know, if I can always, you know, if I can find the time to do it, I, I will always try. Mm. If um if listeners have just tuned in, um, we're chatting with Peter Strickland about his film Flux Gourmet, which comes out this Thursday. Um, Peter, what's what's kind of next on the cards for you? Do you have any projects that are in the pipeline? Um, I, I do, but they're leftovers from one is from ten years back, which is kind of about New York nightlife, nineteen eighty. The other one is is actually a kids' film. Oh wow! Which is actually kind of similar thing about stomach issues but more post-diagnosis so there's nothing nothing that would shock parents um more about the social side of having having things that you can't eat um but i don't know i mean uh, it's getting harder and harder to make films on 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 all fronts so I'm, i'm writing for hire most of the time now i have three scripts for different directors um so at the moment, I'm just kind of lying low and writing for other people. I, I would love to get back into film, um, but I, it, it was tough, this last one, especially mm. the whole pandemic. We had, I think it was four false starts. And with that, you know, you've hired everyone, everyone disperses, you've got to hire different people each time. Um, it was quite exhausting, that, that, that last film. Uh, it kind of took it out on me a little bit. <laughs> so I'm quite happy to stay at home for at least a year and just write for other people. Well, whatever whatever form that next project <laughs> takes, <laughs> whether uh, it's you you as Gun for Hire or um or a new kids program, I'm <laughs> I'm very excited to see it all. Um, Peter, thank you, thank you, um, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. 
Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Um, uh, try and get me, get me a third time, hopefully. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's pencil Surely. it in. <laughs> You're listening. Inviting myself over. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Cerise Howard and Stewie Richards. Uh, just earlier, we spoke with director Peter Strickland, whose film Flux Gourmet comes out this Thursday. Uh, and it also screened as part of the recent um, Melbourne International Film Festival uh, the track I played just prior was Mannequin Metric, which is actually the main th- theme of In Fabric. Um, I think In Fabric is still one of the Primal Screen's fave, fave films. No, rightly so. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. So um, to help us, I, I feel like there's a, there's a lot to unpack in this. So Stewie, I'm so yeah, glad yeah. we've got you on board. Um, yes. Look, Flux Gourmet, it's a, it's salty, spicy and sometimes a very succulent film. <laughs> Um, there's a lot going on and I'm so, it was so lovely starting tonight's show with hearing from Peter himself. Um, firstly, um, before we get kind of tucked into Flux Gourmet, um, Stewie, you know, Peter Strickland, he has such a varied filmography and we've really kind of only scratched the surface Mm. of it. Um, what was kind of your first entry into, to Peter's work? Uh, Duke of Burgundy. Oh, at beautiful! The Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Yes, that was that was my first foray into the world of Strickland. Uh, and uh, Cerise, you touched on something during the interview, which uh, I think is kind of this common thread that runs through a lot of his films, where there is like one element that has this, I guess, is kind of misjudged or has this preconception as being odd or kind of frowned upon and then he takes it and then just um, kind of subverts it or makes us think about things differently. So whether it's the um, S&M bondage mm-hmm. scene in Duke of Burgundy or um, or this kind of like food and kind of stomach stuff in um, Flux Gourmet, that's what I really love about him is it's uncomfortable in a lot of parts but you end up thinking about certain kind of elements of his films the more you think about the film as a whole afterwards. Yeah, well, there's a lot of comedy of discomfort, but then there's mm. a sensitivity mm. as well. It's not yes. easy laughs at, at poor um, Stones is the character's name. He's such a magnificently uh, hangdog uh, <laughs> presence. Um, Marcus Papadimitriou, who might be familiar to some viewers who are familiar with uh, films from the so-called Greek weird wave. Yeah, yeah. Um, familiar from both Suntan and Chevalier, which was a film I really adored. Oh, I adore that film as well. And you're so well cast. And I love that you've both touched upon the the vulnerability of the character, but you're right, he's not made fun of in that way. Mm. In fact, a lot of the characters, despite all their flaws, are actually quite accepting of him and, and do try to help him, and maybe because he's not like them. <laughs> um, it's such a fascinating world that we're thrown into with Flux Gourmet. Um, so, Cerise, you kind of gave a, a bit of a, an opening at the start of the show just give us a taster of this film. But like we said, there's this troupe um, at the centre who create sonic uh, performances through culinary uh, performance. <laughs> culinary, uh, what would you say? They're, they're cooking. They're cooking and they've got mics attached. <laughs> and, and flanges. And flanges. Lest we forget, there's a lot of flanging. And 
I think it's it's really hard to describe the humour in this. I was kind of leaning towards it's a very British humour, and I wonder how it would um, how this film will play for American audiences. I feel like here in Australia, there's a bit more. Um, uh, what can I say? I feel like we're more aligned, perhaps, with the British sensible sensibilities as far as humour goes. Um, what what were your thoughts on how where this sort of ranks? I, I do feel like it's one of his funnier ones. I still do find that in fabric for me, <laughs> it's just one of the funniest. But um, well, yeah, how do you well, feel? I, I, the scenarios he develops are just so bizarre and so out of this world, and everyone in them are just so serious and deadpan throughout it. I mean, thinking to the, that um, department store in, in Fabric with Fatma Muhammad's character, all of the kind of weird ways she would talk to customers, <laughs> yes. completely deadpan. And in this uh, film as well, just how absurd some of the dinner party conversations they have and that um, that kind of mime kind of performance workshops that they do when they're shopping. <laughs> It's so weird and everyone's so serious. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I think that's a big part of why that scene in particular works so well is everyone is playing it straight. There's not a yeah. there's not a sort of clownish element to it. The humour is in the absurdity of the exercise and the conversation. Yeah. And I love that you touch upon also the um, some of the dialogue that we hear in in fabric, which is just some of the best, <laughs> yeah. I have to say, yeah. not to go too off topic. Um, yeah. I know we're talking about flux gourmet, but yeah. in fabric has some wonderful lines, and I think we see that really sharp, clever dialogue in flux gourmet. Um, what do, what do you think? Sorry. Oh, we do. I mean, yeah. um, Gwendolyn Christie's uh, right, instructions for those shopping role plays, <laughs> which are so specific about the particular foodstuffs that they're um, seeking or or you know, horrified to realise they've forgotten. I mean, I can't even remember what these foodstuffs were called. They all had absurdly floral names, very decorative. But I think basically at heart they were probably just a box of chocolates. Or, you know. <laughs> but it was just such heightened language yet delivered with uh, such yeah, – is deadpan even quite the right word? Because it's not deadpan the way Jim Jarmusch films are or Aki Karazmaki's films or Roy Anderson or other specialists in deadpan humour. Uh, there's, there, there's still a sensibility uniquely his and, and a, del, a, a love of really delicious turns of phrase. Um, Can we actually, oh. just while we're on the topic, though, of um, Jan Stevens, who, Jan of course, Stevens. is played by um, Gwendolyn Christie, I was just thinking some of the uh, – I really love throughout Strickland's filmography some of his female characters we mentioned before um, – uh, Fatima, oh, I've forgotten her surname now. Mohammed, of course. Um, I love that that she's been with, you know, had a sort of somewhat collaborative uh, experience with him as an actor um, throughout his films. Um, but also that fantastic casting in Flux Gourmet of Gwendolyn Christie as Jan Stevens, who, who acts as a really, she's a wonderfully... Uh, count, she's a wonderful counterpart to Fatima's um, uh, elder elder L. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, her name is so ridiculous. I really stumbled over it um, because they both have elements of um, almost dominatrix 
sort of vibe to them oh, that totally. reminded me a lot of, you know, Duke of Burgundy has some of these elements to it. Um, in fabric, uh, you know, certain characters do, but really that kind of sense of, of dominance and vulnerability. And each of the characters play with that. Um, Richard Bremer as Dr. Glock. Um, let's unpack his character. So, yeah. <laughs> so he also gets to have some fantastic turns of phrases, both at the dinner party scenes, but also as a medical, um, the medical doctor on site. I found those as a standout for me. Um, Richard Bremer is just wonderful, isn't he? Yeah, he's great. All of the uh, the weird classical texts that he keeps on uh, bringing up at the dinner <laughs> <Yes>. party are great. <laughs> yes, because no one else has read them. <laughs> yes, of course, because um, yeah, there is the idea Stones, who is um, yep. possibly the most uh, relatable character, um, who who's the um, the writer tasked with with recording um, everything that happens at at this um, during. The, the residency. residency. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That's exactly the word. And um, he's constantly, his his um, status as a writer is co- constantly brought into question by Dr. Glock, who who does, yeah, test him on his knowledge of very um, outdated classics. <laughs> um, there's also a bit of a tension there between um, the artist talking a bit about um, sort of some feminist ideals and, and Dr. Glock's... Um, I don't know. He kind of comes across as quite a uh, traditional. Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> old school, patrician sort of character. Yes. Um, who likes to lord it above others and and uh, lord his uh, scholarliness above others. Um, I mean, he's pretty obnoxious. There's something John Cleasy about him, but rather more sinister. Something about the way he's lit. Just as he was in In Fabric as well as the sinister um, shop owner. There's something really really quite cadaverous even about him or, or skeletal about his, his skull. Yeah, uh, very true. Yeah. yeah. His amazing presence on screen and delivers those lines with great relish always. Yes, true. And I think that's what um, I did hear. I didn't uh, make the screening of, of Flux Gourmet at MIF, but um, I did hear from people who went along that there was some – just a great atmosphere in seeing a film like this where it is, like you said, Stewie, before, it is quite a, an uncomfortable watch. So just that release that you get and it reminds yeah. me a little bit, um, it's a very different space that it occupies, but I was thinking a little bit of um, Ruben Ostlund's uh, Triangle of Sadness, which for me allowed for a real release in a festival atmosphere for all that awkwardness. Um, and I love that Strickland t- t- touches upon this idea of class in here and um, he does also through a lot of his films touch upon class. Um, Cerise, I know you you wrote a fantastic um, article about synesthesia in, in Strickland's work. And so we also that's probably one of the strongest threads. Um, but you, do you want to talk a little bit about how you kind of, yeah, how that plays into it? Well, synesthesia. Um, I mean, there's just such a conflating of the senses in, in his films. Um, and, and, and for me, in terms of what they're trying to, to transmit. And, and I, I know... When he was here as a guest of MIF a few years back, when In Fabric was his new film, uh, it came up in discussions about um, his own, uh, what is it, AMSR, Auto Meridian Sensory Response, something he'd, he'd realised himself he was mm-hmm. uh, prone to synesthetic experience and he'd always known it without knowing it or naming it. Mm-hmm. And throughout, say, the Duke of Burgundy, there's a constant whispery sort of sounds on, on the on the soundtrack 
part of the score just woven into the mm. very, well, let's say, fabric of the film. Um, and that's that's a truly synesthetic um, uh, experience that they're trying to transmit to, to viewers once you became conscious of it, but even beforehand, mm. whereby you, you feel sound. Like if you were um, susceptible to that, you get all tingly mm. when sounds are in certain registers and perhaps at certain tempos and oscillating at certain patterns, um, certain vibrations. But um, look, even in the Duke of Burgundy, he, he certainly had some awareness of his interest in that realm because there's one of the most hilarious credits. It just goes by if you're not paying attention. I think it's even in the opening credits. But there's a credit for the uh, perfumer. Like, like, this, like, like this matters. As a, but, yeah, it just, it's, you know, it's funny too. I mean there's, yes. there's a lot of humour in this. But, yeah, like the Oberberian Sound Studio, studio um, yeah, it's about a Foley artist on a in a bizarre Italian uh, studio. We witness sound effects being made, but it's all visual. But we never actually see the film mm. that it's being made for. So it, it's uh, there's all this just you know, things at, at one sensory remove in his films. And here we are again in Flux Gourmet with cooking, but we're there to hear it, not eat it. Yes. So that said, there is a bit of um, edible. There is a bit of culinary stuff going on um, in the film, some of which is a little squirm-inducing, and that's kind of fun as well. Actually, talking of squirming through this film, um, I did I did listen to some uh, re- international reviews of this film, and they really focused in on and, and, and phrased Strickland's work within the lens of horror. And for me, I don't know, I feel like when I approach Strickland's work, there's a tremendous amount of sensuality to it and humour, and I don't actually associate it directly with horror. I know there's elements, of mm. course, and we mentioned Barbarian Sound Studio before, but it seems as though that's not the strongest element uh, thread through it, and I'm really surprised by how often his work is coupled with it. Um, what do you both think about that that kind of framing of his work? It's a bit lazy, I mm. think. Um, I mean, certainly there are his films are, I think, uncomfortable at times. Um, I wouldn't really label it as horror. No. Uh, I watched this on my TV, very sadly. Um, I wish I was in the cinema to see this. Um, because I think with, you know, the surround sound, with the, that flanger kind of just... Flat flanger? You when the, flanger. Just flanging you in the face. Um, and then kind of that kind of we're weaving into some really juicy food sounds. Um, I mean, it makes my skin crawl. Like that ASMR kind of trope genre on YouTube when it involves food, I can't do it. <laughs> and there are moments in this film where I just was like on the couch, just like shivering just because it was so un- like bodily so uncomfortable. Um, so in that sense, I mean, maybe some people are having a horrific response to it like me, but I wouldn't really categorize it in the horror genre. No. And I think it's, I think actually for me more than anything, it, it taps into that discomfort of the comedy elements of it. And, and so I love that Peter touched upon the fact that he actually wanted to make a film about someone with, with stomach issues, very relatable. Um, but like just that sense of, yeah, this, this sensitivity and, um, and something that we don't feel comfortable talking about. And I, th- I think that comes through, a lot of his films, actually, and when the only film that really struck me, perhaps as um, 
maybe leaning a bit more into that into that horror um, genre would would be um, his debut um, 2009 film uh, Catalan Varga which we have covered on this show before but that's really more of a rape revenge film and, and perhaps more situated as a drama not really a horror I mean the the details of the film are horrific um, but like you said he's not really comfortable with presenting violence on screen and often it's through the soundscape that we're getting that communicated yeah. or, or at least in Catalan Varga I think it's actually visually communicated as an absence so we know what's right. happening off screen yeah. rather than um, directly showing rape or at least um, playing around a little bit with the camera angles to create a sense of complicity um, I mean I, I really love Catalan Varga it's probably one of my favourites um, of his. Um, but I really, I, I just find it strange that Flux Gourmet has been somehow coupled up with the, <laughs> the horror discussion. Well, I think this happens a lot with, with mm. his films ever since, especially Barbarian Sound Studio, because, you know, Toby Jones plays a sound editor who is in a studio in Italy, turns out to work on an Italian exploitation film. And so there's lots of horrific sound effects that need mm. to be produced and and then things do get truly weird you know, but it's, it's certainly not a, a, a conventional horror film there there's certainly plenty of nods to uh giallo the the genre um uh, especially as that seems to be the sort of film they're producing in that studio mm. but it's kind of meta textual it's not necessarily textual textual yes yeah. yes um and, you know and fabric has its horror elements i mean the dress is a killer, <laughs> and, and you know, there's a little bit of yeah, gruesomeness, but yes, but it's yeah. The, these films are not so easily reduced to such simple genre pigeonholing. No, and I'm I'm curious to see how Flux Gourmet will play um, as a general release. I, I did notice that it's got um, relatively, I think it's mainly local and independent um, cinemas that are going to be playing the film. Um, I think it would have worked really well. I, I'm glad that it was included as part of the recent MIF. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a great film to watch in that festival space. Um, but I am curious to see what some of the reactions going to be. I think people will take this film in very much the wrong way or take it too serious uh-huh. potentially. Um, I think it's very aware of what it's doing. And I, I'm kind of excited to see where, where Strickland's going to go next. Yeah, and look, you know, he sounded a little in that interview like he, you know, they're not quite despondent, but you know, not at all certain that there'd be another film. Mm. And But that's just how he was a couple of years ago. <laughs> and this film suddenly got up and got made. That's and yes, there may true. have been some false starts, but... Yeah, my gut feeling, let's say, is that uh, there'll be more to follow and there'll be more uh, discomfort but more hilarity with it. And I actually find these his films endlessly rewatchable. I find them quite richer experiences for repeat viewings and mm. and the, the funny parts of them only get funnier, which often can't be said for films, you know, comedies, I find. You, know, you might laugh uproariously the first time something takes you by surprise uh, and then a repeat viewing. Mm. But his films somehow just get richer. You, you get to uh, savour more the uh, the deliciousness and absurdity of some of that really <laughs> ripe dialogue. It's like Guy Madden's films for me as well. If you're on that sort of wavelength mm. where those peculiar senses of humour somewhere between camp and 
extreme understatement. It's such an odd mix to think yeah. of the heightened world of camp and then this sort of reserve, like Guy Madden's got his Canadian reserve and Strickland's got his sort of British reserve. Yes. And, and where those worlds collide, it create truly unique, wonderful filmic sensations. Yes. And actually on the topic of camp, I mean, not I feel like Duke of Burgundy is really fascinating film in the sense that um, – you know, it is a lesbian uh, S&M drama, could we say? Um, yep. But there was – there was. it sounds like it would be a very specific um, audience that would be interested in it, but there's so much universality to that film, which sounds strange, but it really felt like there was really large statements and questions being raised in that film. And I think that's what I love about a lot of his work is that it seems to – Really prompt, and like you said, with the being able to rewatch it, maybe because it's capturing an element of human nature or human interaction with all our foibles um, on screen, and it's very relatable. <laughs> all, all your foibles, maybe. I don't have foibles. I don't know what you're talking course, about sorry. at this point. You've lost me, Flint. <laughs> Um, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you both about Flux Gourmet. Um, if you're keen on checking out Peter Strickland's new film, it is going to receive a general release this Thursday and it's going to be screened at local and independent cinemas. On tonight's show, we spoke with British filmmaker Peter Strickland and reviewed his latest release, Flux Gourmet, which you can catch at cinemas from Thursday. So it was really, really, really lovely. I was just saying, talking off air about the fact of having Peter um, just to kind of unpack some of his work. So it's always a treat um, chatting with local filmmakers. Uh, local filmmakers. Filmmaker. Sure, he's one of us. Felt local, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> the powers of Zoom. Um, and we are, I forgot to mention this at the start of the show, but we are, of course, still in Radiothon. Um, this is a time in which we do call upon listeners um, to show their support and subscribe if possible. Um, Stewie, I know you weren't able to join us last week for our Radiothon special, but can you tell listeners why you think they should subscribe? Well, for me, Triple R has always been the sound of Melbourne. Um, and it's all about um, engaging with culture and supporting local artists, um, both filmic and music-wise. And I think given, you know, the ravages of COVID over the last few years, I think supporting that culture is more important now than ever. I absolutely uh, agree. So, yeah. yeah. Well said. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. Head to rrr.org.au. Um, we are, you know, if you are going to subscribe, I think we could probably read out your message. I don't have anyone running around right now. But look, just do it because it's good. And you get to come along to all of our wonderful subscriber screenings. Um, so I just want to say thank you to Peter Strickland for his time tonight and to my wonderful guest reviewers, Cerise and Stewie. Thank um, you. And, <laughs> and thank you also to Luke Lay, who edits our podcast and manages all of our socials. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 